Welcome back to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, with a background in entomology, I always enjoy it when we have a guest on to talk about bugs, even if the bugs aren't, you know, really something people are excited about, like today's brown marmorated <laughs> stink bug conversation. Yeah, not, not too many people are excited about seeing them, but, you know, a lot of people want to learn what to do about it when they start seeing a new insect. So I think it's a it's a great conversation. I agree. I, I'm always a little bit intimidated when we get another entomologist on because I'm definitely outnumbered. And today we spoke with Kelly Estes from the Illinois Natural History Survey. Absolutely. And we talked to Kelly about a somewhat recent pest here in the Midwest, the brown marmorated stink bug, it's starting to become somewhat of a challenge for farmers, but maybe it's even more so a challenge for people who own houses or properties as these bugs like to congregate in the fall inside houses to keep warm over the winter. There's a lot to be learned yet about this pest, and I think it's great that we have people like Kelly working on it and, and sharing that information with the public. If you're interested in the entomology subject, we had a recent episode with Nick Sider, also from the University of Illinois. Uh, go back and check out episode 48, where we talked about some of the insects and things that live in the soil that attack corn. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with Kelly. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. To kick things off here today, would you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, your career history, things like that? Sure. I am a entomologist at the Illinois Natural History Survey here on the University of Illinois campus. My official title is State Agricultural Pest Survey Coordinator, which is usually a mouthful. So entomologist generally works just fine, but my primary role here on campus is coordinating um, not only agricultural pest surveys with the Department of Crop Sciences in both corn and soybeans, but I also work with the Illinois Department of Ag and USDA APHIS PPQ in coordinate invasive species surveys across the state, focusing not only on our agricultural crops, but also specialty crops like vineyards and orchards. Um, we also do high-risk pathways, uh, means of introduction of those invasives to the state and also natural areas, state parks, forests, and things like that as well. I've been in my current role here officially for 15 years, um, which I just found out and was kind of a, a shock to me because it doesn't <laughs> seem that long. <laughs> wow, congrats. But, thanks. Um, but it's a job I love. It's something we uh, come to work and there's something new every day. Um, prior to my role here, I was with the University of Illinois Extension within the Department of Crop Sciences as an IPM specialist. So my background has always been ag with a focus on entomology. Corn and soybeans have been my bread and butter, so to speak, in my background. But um, over the years, I've come to work with lots of different crops and areas of expertise, and even delving into some pathogen and plant stuff as well. That's a pretty well-rounded set of experience that you have. It's kind of interesting that you start off in, in one area, say as an entomologist, and you mentioned that you get into some pathogens and things like that too, which a lot of times those areas don't necessarily cross with a single person. So it sounds like you have a lot of different experiences. I really do. And generally they don't, but with a lot of the surveys we do, we're surveying commodities, um, whether that be corn or soybeans or an apple orchard or a community garden. And really, you know, why you're there, well, my primary focus might be insects, but 
just like you, when you're out scouting fields, you're looking for anything that's out of the ordinary and things like that. So learning to look for plant stresses or pathogens that could be affecting plant health has just come with the territory. And I guess I've always had a little bit of an interest in it being with an IPM background. My graduate studies looked at corn flea beetles transmitting Stewart's wilt in sweet corn. So it was a nice crossover there. And um, I've been lucky enough to carry that forward into my career. That's interesting. Probably, you know, at least initially when you, you talk about an entomologist, you think of focusing on the insects, but there's probably a lot of crossover there. You kind of mentioned with Stewart's wilt where maybe there's an insect that either carries a pathogen. We know that happens a lot. Or there's an insect that comes in because a pathogen has infected and, you know, that plant's maybe giving off some kind of signal to trigger other things to attack it because it's under stress. Um, there's probably a lot of crossover between the two. There really is. And particularly this time of year, when I'm talking with growers, I get a lot of late season calls for field corn that you're harvesting now. And you can tell there's been insect activity, but you've missed the insect. So you, it's hard to tell what exactly it was, but insect feeding has also predisposed um, that ear to fungal pathogens as well. So we end up talking a lot about um, that kind of stuff as well. Kelly, one thing I was curious about, so I, you know, I've been to the natural history survey. I don't really know much about it. Could you talk a little bit to like maybe the background of the natural history survey, what the mission is, is it strictly a U of I affiliated institution or do you have federal, you know, more APHIS relationships? How does that work? So the Natural History Survey is awesomely unique. I don't think there's anything like it out there. We are affiliated with the University of Illinois. Um, we are within the Prairie Research Institute, which is also includes the geological survey, the water survey, um, an archaeological survey. I get in all of them. And so it's very diverse here at the Illinois Natural History Survey. We have over 200 scientists and researchers. Wow. And basically the main mission is to record biological resources within the state of Illinois. And the people I work with are so cool. They work with so many different things that, and it seems like every time I turn around, you find out something new and exciting. So down the hall, um, Joe Spencer works on rootworms. But farther down the hall, we have fish labs and I, we have people that are working with bats, not only um, like white nose syndrome, but I learned the other day that we have somebody working on bat genomics. We have people recording native plants. We have people that work with IDOT and the tollways that are monitoring along major tollways, um, the diversity of not only plants, but insects. The same with railroads and how railroads or tollways or roads can affect natural diversity. We have people that work with birds. We have people that work with deer. Downstairs, Sam Heads is an archeologist and I walk down there and they're looking at amber and there's fossils of prehistoric insects. While we focus on what's going on in Illinois, it does expand past that. We have people that travel the world and work with different species and then invasive species. And it's really hard to explain to the general public. And I'm really hoping sometime we had a several years ago, a, a hundred year celebration, and it was able to showcase all the different things that we've done. And hopefully here in the future, we would potentially have that opportunity again to 
invite the public in and just see all the cool stuff that goes on here. So I, I'm just curious because it sounds like there's some really interesting things. Where would, you know, if someone wanted to learn about some of these things that are going on, is there a website or something like that where people can go to and learn about some of this research? Or is there a repository somewhere that, you know, someone that just wanted to dig in a little bit more could check out? We do have a website. If you Google Illinois Natural History Survey, you can find it there, but it's www.inhs.illinois.edu. Many researchers are on Twitter that focus a lot on uh, a lot of the things they're doing and will tweet out blurbs of cool things and things like that. And so you can also find um, at INHS Illinois is the main Twitter for the survey and they'll often share and retweet things that are going on within the survey itself. Awesome. We'll be sure to link both of those in the show notes here so any listeners can go find those resources. Appreciate that, Kelly. Well, hey, we wanted to have you on today to talk specifically about the brown marmorated stink bug. I think it's a kind of a pest here in Illinois. I'm getting a lot more questions about this new invasive species. Kind of switching gears, could you talk a little bit about the background of the brown marmorated stink bug, its origins, and maybe how new is it to the United States? Sure. The brown marmorated stink bug is an invasive insect that we believe was introduced to the U.S. in the 1990s, late 1990s. It was originally found in Allentown, Pennsylvania, first found around 2001. And so it had been around that area for several years. And in 2004, it started to become widely noticed, both in farms and in forests and natural areas in that northeast area. By 2010, it had caused such catastrophic damage and injury to crops. And that's when it really started gaining momentum, I guess, in the news. And people really started hearing about it because of all that economic loss that was occurring in the mid-Atlantic states. Um, And that was in sweet corn, apple orchards, peaches, peppers, tomatoes. There were growers that were reporting almost total losses based solely on feeding from the brown marmorated stink bug. Like stink bugs that we deal with here in Illinois, like the brown stink bug and green stink bug, it has piercing sucking mouth parts. So it feeds by puncturing the fruit and causing injury that way. So when you think about specialty crops and market value, not only does the crop look bad based on the feeding, it's also causing, for instance, an apples. If you slice open an apple that's been fed upon, it's brown, it looks kind of like pork. It causes shriveling of like tomatoes and other small fruits, basically causing dimples and peaches. So where did this thing come from? Looking back, now that we've been dealing with this for quite some time, Researchers have looked at the genetics of different brown marmorated stink bugs found around the U.S., and they can trace most of the lineage, if you will, of the stink bugs here in the eastern part of the U.S. back to China. So they believe it was unintentionally introduced. They're excellent hitchhikers. They crawl into things and just they're there for the ride. I myself have traveled and all of a sudden found a stink bug in my car. They're pretty good at hiding and they can come out at the most random times and random locations. And that's one of the 
fastest ways it's moved throughout the U.S. And currently, I think the last time I looked, brown marmorated stink bug has been found in 47 states. So I think the only ones we wow. haven't currently or positively identified it in are Wyoming, South Dakota, and I think Alaska. It's also been found in Canada. Um, and while it has been found in many states, there are definitely states that deal with it more on an economic level than others. The Eastern states see more severe injury here in Illinois. I think we're classified right there in the middle. We're not seeing high instances of agricultural or specialty crop injury, but it's definitely more than sporadic occurrences where it's thought to be spread throughout the state of Illinois, but there are definitely areas where we see higher populations of it. How would the average person, can you describe how they would identify it differently from another stink bug? Is that possible or do you need a picture to really describe that? A picture helps, but I think one of the easiest ways to tell the difference between a brown marmorated stink bug and a common brown stink bug that we have here is looking at the antennae. And a brown stink bug will have brownish orange antennae. And if you look at a brown marmorated stink bug, it will have black and white banding or black and white alternating bands across the antennae. And that's probably the simplest way. There are other characteristics that we can use if we look underneath a microscope and things like that. But for the average person, if you see a stink bug on the side of your house, in your garden, or in your house, um, that's probably the easiest way to tell the difference. I'm sitting here with two entomologists, so I'm going to expose my ignorance as I often do. <laughs> but um, it, it, it marmorated. Is that a is that a color marking or is that some other description? Uh, yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Is marmorated because if you look at a brown marmorated and a brown stink bug, it kind of has that brown and white model appearance. I don't know if that is that a good way to describe it, Preston. Yeah. Like that's spot yeah. on. If you also look, they have black and white bands around the abdomen as well, but you can also have those on regular brown sink bugs as well. Kelly, you mentioned a lot of specialty crops. Is the brown marmorated a threat to corn soybean production, or does it, if it's not, does it have the potential to be so in the future as populations increase? Ooh, good question. We do tend to focus on specialty crops because we have a lot of known instances of crop loss caused by brown marmorated stink bug in those crops. And they've done a really good job of taking specialty crops and breaking them into risk levels. Corn and soybeans is a little harder. We know that both corn and soybeans are hosts to brown marmorated stink bug. You can find brown marmorated stink bugs in both of those crops. It's really kind of hard because sometimes in your in areas with a little bit bigger populations, depending on what's nearby, they may prefer to be in um, something else. But as seasons change, they tend to move a lot more. They're moving a lot more early in the spring when they emerge. And then again, in the fall, as things start to senesce and plants change. We know that brown marmorated stink bugs will feed on both corn and soybeans as well. In soybeans, it's gonna feed on the pods. It'll puncture the pods, scar them also cause flattened pods, um, potentially affect the soybeans themselves. 
when you have really high populations, they can also delay senescence in soybeans. So it uh, causes them to stay green, even into the harvest time. In corn, um, same thing, you feed on the ears, it's gonna reduce kernel quality. And like we talked about earlier with insect feeding on corn, it then increases its susceptibility to disease. In higher populations, it can cause injury, potentially reduce yield in both corn and soybeans. We haven't seen that here in the Midwest, but we do know that it has a tendency to be an edge species. So when we do our surveys, like our statewide surveys, um, when we survey corn soybeans around the state, we do sweeps on the edge of soybeans and then on the in, in the interior to get an idea of the difference between the two. But some insects are just more prone to be on the edge. So as we go down this brown marmorated stink bug road, and if um, populations continue to increase or you're in an area where there's a higher population, scouting field edges is gonna be key. And it also leads to the potential where you could treat edges to try to knock down a population as well. Kelly, stink bugs are not unusual here in Illinois. There's all kinds of different species of stink bugs. What is it in particular about this one that makes it so much more of a threat to become a serious problem? That's a great question. Honestly, I have a couple different thoughts on it, and I don't know if they're completely right or not, but the populations have the ability to reproduce faster. They overwinter in multiple areas, whether that be in debris, underneath bark, um, it also overwinters in structures. That can play a part in it. So are there natural predators that will hopefully keep this population in check eventually, or what do we think will happen with that dynamic? There are some natural predators um, that we're looking at. I use the universal we. Researchers are looking at, um, and they're monitoring not only the stink bug populations, but then the populations of those beneficial insects. And I don't have any current research illustrating this, but um, there are areas, I think, where they've seen decreases in brown marmorated stink bug populations out east. And I don't think they've identified solely what is keeping those populations low, whether it could be weather, natural predators, a natural influx or decrease in the population, kind of like what we see with Japanese beetles sometimes. But I think there's a lot of factors at play that can help suppress those populations as well. So Kelly, are there any other negative impacts associated with brown marmorated stink bug? For instance, this fall, I've seen quite a few of them trying to sneak into my house. <laughs> they are a nuisance pest. And I think that's where it gets most of its press, quite honestly. They like to overwinter in homes. So think of insects like multicolored Asian lady beetle or box. So they operate just like that. Um, they're looking to move indoors. And like you, Preston, at our property in Southern Champaign County, I've seen more brown marmorated stink bugs than I have ever seen, particularly probably two to three weeks ago when we were still experiencing that warm weather. Crops were starting to come out, everything's starting to senesce, and time, uh, day length is starting to shorten. And that's their internal cue that, hey, we need to go find our place to overwinter at, garages, barns, sheds, 
and of course houses, cracks, crevices, fireplaces are excellent ways for them to get into homes. And you get into some of these particularly bigger urban areas, reports of hundreds and thousands, particularly up in the Northeast and the Southwest part of the state. And I know back several years ago out East, you're talking hundreds of thousands and there's pictures of them sweeping them off porches. The fact that it has so many different host plants plays a part, I guess, in why it is a bigger threat here in Illinois than some of our other stink bugs. And then of course, throw in the nuisance aspect. And it's just something that is not gonna be a fun insect to deal with here in, in the next few years. I, it's kind of a scary thought because I, I, I'm old enough to remember when box elder bugs were a huge problem and they'd be all over the side of the house and they'd start coming in the house. And it seems like they kind of uh, phased out just a little bit. And then we had, you mentioned the, the lady beetles and um, you know they were a huge problem and you'd find them all over in the corners of your house. And now it seems like they're not quite as bad the last few years as they used to be. And so I guess this is just the next big thing, huh? <laughs> It kind of is. And I think a lot more people notice it in their homes and not just our farmers or producers dealing with it from a crop aspect. It affects everyone. So I guess if you had to spitball, would you say here in Illinois, like we're kind of at the saturation point now, or would you say the population still has a lot of room to grow and eventually we could see those high levels you talk about in the Northeast? I would say that the population definitely has room to grow because, you know, we don't see it that often. In a crop aspect and whether that's a combination of low populations and pest management practices, I'm not sure. I mean, that could definitely play a part. You know, when we do our statewide surveys at the end of July, we do pick up brown marmorated stink bugs and soybeans, but we don't pick up a lot. But as we move into late August and September, when everything starts to change, we see a lot more movement and we really start noticing their populations um, a lot more. They definitely have the ability to become more of a problem. Whether or not we see that at levels out east, I really don't know. We have a lot of crop production practices that are that generally tend to keep insects below economic levels. So that could definitely hold true for stink bugs as well. Kelly, this has been a really interesting conversation. You obviously have an interesting position. Do you have any advice for someone? You know, we like to, a lot of our audience is students, and we like to ask for advice for students. If there's someone who's interested in following a career like yours or a career in entomology, do you have any advice for them? Advice for careers. That's kind of tough because I didn't see myself in this career. Um, (laughs) We hear that a lot. (laughs) And that's, I I think Preston, I would almost say the same, you know, in a lot of ways. I would say, don't be afraid to try different things because I grew up on the farm. I showed cattle. I was an animal science major, but I also had a lot of summer internships with Growmark as a field crop scout um, with a seed company and their seed corn group. And I also liked crop sciences and ended up taking a couple classes and ended up changing my major, ended up with an entomology class and really liked it. And opportunities then just, I really got lucky and they opened up at the right time, including grad school, going from grad school straight into extension and then into this position. And so internships, 
opportunities, even if it's not something you would normally go for, I would say if you have any remote interest to try it because you never know. And to continue to network because doors open that way as well. I think that's really great advice. And, and, and as you mentioned, sometimes getting some of those different experiences that maybe aren't exactly what you think you want to do, there's two things it can do. It can open your eyes to other things and open up new potential, or it can also just give you a well-rounded understanding of other areas that you will probably most likely use eventually in your career. Most definitely. That is a great way to summarize that. Well, Kelly, we really appreciate your time here today to talk about the brown murmury, the stink bug. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you, is there a way they can um, have access to you? Yeah, you can email me. Um, and my email is my maiden name here at the university. And it's kcook8, K-C-O-O-K, number eight at illinois.edu. You can also reach out through social media. Uh, Twitter and Facebook is at ILPestSurvey. And if you do end up on the Illinois Natural History website, you can also find me on there. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link all that in the show notes as well. And once again, we really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.